Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia, and I am a 20-something on the journey of figuring all my shit out. <laughs> so I figured might as well create a podcast where we could all figure our shit out together and really be able to navigate these shit show moments and really be able to hear the stories behind the successes and not just the successes, but what led up to that. And so I created this podcast back in April 2020, and it's been incredible. Since then, I've interviewed over 150 people. I've been on my own journey of really, I hit this moment of getting all these things I thought would make me happy and getting these paychecks and this job and all these things that I thought were going to be my thing. And then having this huge oh shit moment of, oh my gosh, I'm working for this job that's out of alignment. I'm not happy where I'm at. I'm not happy with how this thing is going. And realizing that you can have it all on paper, but if you're not truly in alignment with what that is or what that company is, it doesn't matter. And I had this moment, and since then I've sent in a resignation letter to that company. I've done started doing loans with a mortgage broker, and I've started working with another company that really truly prioritizes myself and my growth and really makes me feel seen and heard and like I have a place to grow with since then and it's been incredible and I really hope that with this show that you get inspiration that you get maybe some laughter that you get some joy and that you get to feel seen and heard and know that you're not alone in all of your shit show moments you're not alone in the ups and downs and that we're really truly in this together and that if this show does resonate with you I really hope that you can share with a friend as well as leave a review and I'm also I would love to hear from you on Instagram. My Instagram is the shit show of my twenties. So feel free to send me a message. And yeah, let's get on to the show. Today's guest is Andy. I love chatting with her. Andy, she's from Denver. She is a millennial life coach who specializes in helping lost corporate twenty somethings overcome their self-doubt and self-sabotage in order to learn who they are, figure out what they want, and stop holding themselves back. We go into so many incredible things in this interview from our quarter-life crisis, what to do when that quarter-life crisis comes up, as well as self-sabotage and what to do with self-sabotage in terms of relationships and how to navigate conversations with your partner about when the self-sabotage does come up as well as we go into how she met her fiance, how to navigate a rough work environment, if it's a really toxic work environment, and as well as knowing when is this good time to leave, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this interview. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Andy, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to start. Tell me about your 20s so far. Feel free to include any shit show moments you might resonate with. Let's start there. God, I love that question. Well, I would say that first off, I'm so excited to be here and definitely excited to get to know you too. My 20s have been a roller coaster, like to say the least. A lot of people who now know me don't really believe the stories I have from the beginning of my 20s. 
twenties. Yeah. But when I first got out of college, I actually will share a shit show moment that I hope not a lot of people experience, but I fear a lot of people do. And it was when I got into my first job and I had been working there for probably like eight months. I was out in Washington, DC and you're kind of like doing the corporate thing. Cause you're like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is glamorous. It's exciting. It's like all the bells and whistles, but I was doing government corporate consulting. And I was out in the middle of nowhere in like a ghetto suburb in a old government closet building. Like I had no windows. It was probably like four feet by four feet and there was a door on it. So I would literally sit in a closet and I was trying to do the glamorous thing and without even kind of like realizing it, I was in hell. And the job itself was really, really difficult. All of the people that I was working with were kind of like the only people I saw on a day-to-day basis because I was working from like morning till night every single day. And I had gotten so unhappy with where I was at, which sounds like everybody kind of experiences at one point or another that I found myself and long story short, we're just going to cut to the chase. I found myself in the closet with my manager who had basically lulled me into a panic attack in the office of this government building. So I'm like crying about my life in this government building in the closet and just like letting it all go to her because I was like so unhappy and so stuck and it was such a shit show. And I just remember being there being like, this has to be rock bottom. Like this has to be rock bottom. This fancy corporate job that I've been looking for my entire life. Like there's no way that this is what it is. And so I like left that day. I snuck out the back door. I like hid my face because of course, when I cry, it like puffs up like a cartoon animal. I've literally had people tell me that like, I look like I'm not human and I have like characteristics that just don't make sense. So I like covered my face in my jacket and I like ran out the back door thinking that that was the only time I would ever cry at work because why would I cry at work more than once? And that was probably the first time I cried at work out of like at least 10 plus times after that over the next year. So that was the start of me realizing my 20s were a shit show. And now thankfully I am in a much different place. Got out of DC, left the job, started my own business and definitely have like turned a corner. But it wasn't to say that I didn't have many more shit show moments after that, which is why I say my 20s were definitely a roller coaster because from what my friends have told me too, I have definitely hit some low lows that a lot of people have never experienced, but I've also gotten the highs. So there's not hate or not only hate for parts of my twenties, just for some of them. Mm. And tell me more about that. Like you get this job, you think it's going to be the one, you think it's going to be awesome. Actually get into the job and you're like, no, (laughs) Like, like, how do you, when I feel like a lot of us have those moments, but how do you like go into that moment and like not be disappointed or not be set back or take it as like, you know, like this big thing, but kind of like have an energy of playfulness with it and like move forward from that and not see it as like, you know, kind of like a huge setback. I feel like for me, it was a lot of just, I entered into this job thinking like, this was like the only thing that all of my life had led up to. It's like, I just worked for 18 years, 22 years, whatever it is to get to here. And it's like, I have to love it. This is the end all be all moment. And so I went into it like so dead set that even if it was shitty, I was gonna love it. Like this was what I worked for. And I think that when it comes to playfulness and just like, 
getting through moments like that. If I were to tell myself anything in that moment, it would be the fact that it's not supposed to be that important to you. Like, first off, your job is not supposed to be like the end all be all thing ever. And we can always change. And like situations like that, if I had known that like there's more out there, like our job doesn't mean that much, I would have left in the first month. And I think that would have changed my life entirely. But I was so like obsessed with the fact that I needed this job to like kind of be everything that I just pushed and pushed and pushed and tried to fit myself into this mold. When In reality, it was like messing me up even more. And it's, I think something that almost every single one of my friends has experienced too, where it's like, we go into this job. We're like, yeah, we worked for this. Like we're cool. We're fancy. We're corporate or whatever. And then you get in there and you're like, why the fuck am I? Oh, can I swear? Yeah. Yeah. This is a shit show of my twenties. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, why the fuck am I sitting at a desk in a closet, like dressed to the nines with a bunch of government workers around me in ripped jeans and old t-shirts that are like 50 pounds overweight. Like, why is this what I'm doing? As I'm like, literally checking boxes in an Excel document every day for hours every day. So I feel like if I knew better, I would have just left. Like I literally would have just like got up and been like, I am worth so much better than this. And there are so many other jobs out there. Like I'm not going to stay and put up with this. I know I can get something better, but I didn't. I stayed and I really caused some great embarrassing moments for myself out of that. (laughs) I'm curious, how do you know the difference between it just needs time and maybe it needs to grow on me versus like, I need a leave. Like, how do you like figure that out? Because they feel very similar. Yeah, it's such a good question. I feel like that's like something that they never tell you. Because I think I always thought once I get there, it's uh, it's on me. Like, it's always on me. But I feel like the signs, like when something is something that you need to give more time. It's usually something that you just keep coming back to wanting. So like if there's like a dream or a goal or something that you're like really holding on to that you want, and it's something you might not be doing because you're like afraid that it might not work out or you're afraid like what will happen. That's a little bit more intuitive. It's a little bit more aligned with what you actually want in your life. Whereas when something just isn't working, the signs are going to be dramatically different. And for everyone, it is a little bit different, but I feel like things like consistent negative emotions or like consistent anxiety, consistent stress, bad instances with coworkers are a huge one, or like the work you're doing is just not good. All of those are like pretty bad signs. And if you can't look at people that are like 10 years down the line or even five years down the line, and look at them in your job or your company and say, I want to be like them, then that's like a dead giveaway. Like I would say that's the first sign of like, you need to get out now because why would you spend like another month even of your time trying to get something you don't want? And that's kind of the moment where you have to be like, I got this job and I'm getting paid at this job. And I have to like trust that there are other jobs out there for me that are going to be better because clearly I'm competent enough to work. But it's just like, if I don't want this career path, why am I wasting my time doing it? My time is so much more valuable than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to go more into like crying at work. Did you ever have like a moment before you start crying where you're like, this is inappropriate. I'm at work. I'm not allowed to feel my emotions at work. I have to shut them down at work. Like we months. Yeah, I will say my manager was incredibly manipulative. Like looking back, it was just a really bad management situation. And I think a lot of people actually experience this without even realizing it. Cause you're like, oh, these are my like elders. Like I need to, you know, impress them all of that. They're doing my performance report. And if it sucks, like 
my life is over. So I have to be great. And in reality, your life isn't over. And there's so much more to that. But when I was sitting in that office, I remember we were having kind of like a performance review and she hadn't really said anything bad, but she started to like poke and prod and pull like apart things in my personal life, not my work life, my personal life asking me. So I'll back up a little bit. I definitely struggled with a lot of like eating and exercise and like kind of OCD-esque habits when I first got into the work world because I was so not okay. It was kind of grasping for anything else to control my life and like bring me a level of stability I was looking for. And like, I was kind of looking at that for happiness. And I think she had noticed it and in kind of more of a mean way, like a, like, let's use this to manipulate you to work more type of way. She started to poke and prod and pry into that in the office. And she got into some deep shit because she had been talking to my coworkers who are my age, trying to get more details about me and my life outside of work to bring into it. It was a mess. Like, I didn't even know this shit happened because like, I I mean, I was in a sorority. My friends did not do this. Like, isn't that where the drama is supposed to happen? You know, but no, I go into work and there's this like 45 year old woman who's doing this to me. I just remember being in that office being like, I can't cry. I can't cry. I see what she's doing. What do I say? And like trying to like over manufacture the conversation. And I went to like say something to defend myself. And I just, my voice cracked. And it was like, I just started crying. I apologized. I was like, I'm so sorry. This is so unprofessional. I should not, should not be crying. I'm so sorry. And she said verbatim, no, actually I was really concerned. Everyone in this office has cried to me before a lot. And it's pretty odd that you haven't cried yet. Everyone cries at work. So please just go ahead and cry. And I just did at that point, not thinking, oh my God, this is a nightmare. There's no way this is normal. I was like, she's right. This is normal. This is totally normal. And I just, it went down like hyperventilating, like snot everywhere. Like, I'm not kidding. I was blowing my nose on my jacket, like and my scarf and it was gross. And it was a shit show. Like I would say by far the worst. And I got in the car right after that and called one of my best friends. I FaceTimed her. She looked at me and she's like, oh my God, what the hell happened? And she was like, I said, I'm like, I think I hit rock bottom. And she was like, you need to stop saying that because it just keeps getting worse. And like, how much longer did you give it before you left after that moment? How much longer? Well, okay. So I'll say that the consulting company I was working on you have projects. So you can like totally change your team when you go to a different project. So with that team, I stayed for another four months (laughs) and yes, it did get worse. (laughs) And then I switched to another project that was worse and I kept doing it. And finally I got to a project that was a little bit more mainstream, normal. I was just working insane, but I would say it probably took another like two or three years where I realized Mm -hmm. that I just needed to call it quits. And that was when I like That was when I had gotten to a much healthier place with myself and finally just like realized that nothing outside of me was going to fill the void and the gap. And that's when I started my own business. So it was definitely an evolution, but it had to get worse before it got better. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you, how do you like work on yourself and like stay positive and like continue to stay in that place when your work's a shit show like that? Like how do you continue to like show up when you really don't want to, you know, like how do you separate the two from here? I feel like for me, it was like starting with really small steps in the work department. So I could like live the rest of my life without like 
really breaking down when I had free time because that was kind of what was happening. I would either like sit and not do something after work and I would break down or I would be incredibly busy doing things like I don't even know what should I would be doing after work. It would be like random happy hours with humans I had never met before every single night of the week. And that was just like to avoid the feelings of me crying. And I think if I, once I like started to turn it around, it was more like I knew I needed to get out of this project. I didn't need to quit my job, but I needed to get off this project. Okay. This project, then this, this like next project I'm on better work-life balance. Okay. So now I have a little bit more space in my life to do like some of that internal work. At one point I got a therapist, but I didn't know shit about therapy. So I found one online and she was awful, like absolutely awful. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just not qualified for therapy. Like what the heck? And I ended up turning to like a bunch of personal development books. I was like so fed up with myself and I would like slowly start to implement things. And that's actually when everything kind of started to click for me because I learned so much about the brain and how it works and like how the fact that when we feel stuck in a job and stuff, it's not, it's not something outside of our control. It's actually like a chemical, like connection, like a neural connection that happens as we grow up, because as we grow up, we like kind of are impressed by all of these different beliefs and rules and values and ideas and constructs that we take as fact, when in reality, they're not fact or fiction, like we just get to make them whatever we want to. But because we grow up kind of not knowing that, then it kind of shapes our brain to have these filters on them. So things that are totally in our control feel outside of our control. Like we have these beliefs that kind of affect what we can actually do with our lives and not do with our lives. And we never really learn to change them when they are incredibly changeable. And so I started diving deep into that, like the whole shebang of neural connections, this like the um, subconscious brain the disconnect and what happens really in our 20s and why it happens. And I started to kind of implement little things like working on limiting beliefs and changing them. Limiting beliefs are beliefs that we hold that aren't again by nature true or like false. We just make them that way. So I'd work on that or I'd work on fears or I'd work on like self-doubt. And all of these are areas. They're like words we toss around all the time, but each one has like actual constructs underneath that you can do to actually like almost free yourself. And by doing them, I started to feel like it sounds kind of like crazy, but I started to feel exponentially better because I was someone who had tried all the self-awareness. Like I tried to journal and meditate and all the things. And I was like, why do I still cry every day? This is not normal. And after I started to kind of get into actually the more to-dos, like do this, like try this and actually like taking action on them, it completely changed where I was at and like how I felt on a day-to-day basis, which then led me to be able to take bigger steps, like quitting my job and like moving across the country to Denver and like dating my boyfriend and all of those. I feel like it just kind of was like a slow spiral. Cause then that started to develop my confidence even more. And then I was able to kind of just like take steps that just genuinely aligned with me that weren't fear-based. They were like intuitively based. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I would love for you to go further into the disconnection in our 20s. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So in our 20s, have you ever heard of the term quarter life crisis? Yeah. Okay. So the quarter life crisis is basically what happens after years and years and years of societal programming. And I call it societal programming. Everybody has a different name for it, but societal programming to me is basically what happens when we've kind of been taught how to be everything but ourselves, taught to be a better student, taught to be a better friend, taught to be a better child, a better employee, 
and like you put your thing in there, but we're never actually taught how to be ourselves or how to like align with ourselves. And it's not a problem until you leave college and you don't really have a structured path anymore. We get into the work world and all of a sudden, yes, we do have to pay attention to what's going on in work, but we really have like 80 years in front of us potentially that are like completely up to us. And it's overwhelming if you don't actually know the next step because you're in the final step we've been taught and you don't know what you want to do because you're not happy here. But like you have no idea what you even want to do next because you've never been asked that and you've never been taught that. And on top of that, our subconscious brain is what holds all of our like values or beliefs or habits, patterns, identity, all of it. Our personality is mainly stored in our subconscious brain. It's like 90% of our brain. And we actually can't really access that because what we're normally accessing is just even if we're lucky, our conscious brain, like our awareness. But our subconscious is actually primarily developed when we're really, really young. So from the ages of zero to eight, we have most of our beliefs impressed upon us. And so those are things like rules to live by of how to be successful in life. So not only are we taught kind of how to be someone else all of our life until our twenties, but we're also kind of given rules to live by. Like if you are not getting A's in school, you're a failure or like whatever it is for you. If you're not dating someone, you're a failure, but these like rules kind of develop a version of success for us. And it's in every area of our life. So for our health, we might need to be like a certain weight and look. And for our career, we might need to be at a certain firm or company or like location in the world or in school, we might need to go to a certain university, but all of that kind of feeds into our definition of success. And Everyone kind of has a different version of that because that's shaped by our experiences that we've lived up until now. And every single person has different experiences that have shaped them. And so as we kind of go through the world and this is all developed, by the time we're in our 20s, we have such a like, if this is who we are, like at our core, we have so many layers that keep coming up over us, kind of like not letting us access who we actually are. These versions of success, these like versions of who we think we need to be, what we should do, the rules we need to live by, when in reality, those are all constructs. And they're all constructs that kind of take away from our ability to go inside and be like, what do you actually want to do? Agnostic of everyone around you. If you didn't have anyone in the world seeing anything you do, and you never like had these people to impress or like any of the external gratification, what would you genuinely want to do? And it's a question a lot of people can't even answer in their twenties because we've gotten so good at playing by the rules. Like we've gotten really good at just like taking the next step and doing the next thing. And then all of a sudden we don't really have a next thing. Like our job is the next thing. So do we just jump ship and go to another job and hope it's better? Or like, do we try to do something else? And then that something else is so out of our control because we've never been asked to think in that way. So it's kind of like we're throwing paint at a wall, hoping that something better happens, but that disconnect is really what happens like over time. And it just hits in our twenties. And the interesting part about that is I was explained this once by a coach who told me that a quarter life crisis and a midlife crisis are the exact same thing. And that midlife crisis can continue on until like you're 80 years old and some people never get over it. But it's basically that disconnect that we have. And some people just decide to do something about it earlier. Some people decide to do something about it in their midlife and some people never do. And so it's really no different in any way. It's just like this recognition that we don't know who we are because we've been living by other people's rules for so long. Yeah. 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 And what do you do in your core life crisis? Like what do you do with that when it comes up? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Such a good question. That's what I work with people on now. And 
really it's a bunch of like unlearning. Like it's a bunch of just being like, okay, what do I believe that I don't actually want to believe anymore? So like, I'll give, I think the best, my best story is with my boyfriend. I didn't date anyone, like truly date anyone until I was 24 years old. And I like definitely had, I'd call them like unhealthy pseudo relationships where you're like, I was seeing a guy for two years, but we weren't seeing each other, but we went on dates and we were definitely hooking up. But like we were friends, but we weren't. And it was like this weird mess. It's like we were more than just hookup friends. We were more than just friend friends, but we weren't dating. And it was like a head game for years and years. And I was so attached to it. And eventually when COVID hit, I was like, I need to get out of this. Like this is completely consuming me. And I started to kind of dive deep into like all of that internal work. So that was like unlearning beliefs. Like I had all these beliefs that like I, like all guys were the same. Like every single time I tried to go on a hinge date, every single time I tried to do whatever, every single man was the same and they always sucked. Like it was always bad. I mean, you know that, right? (laughs) Like if it's not personally for you, it's for your friends. Like all guys suck. And I like had so many beliefs on that. Like I don't want to get married until I'm 30. Like you got to enjoy your young years and be single. Like I had a lot of like, just like constructs about dating in my head. And I started to kind of pick them apart because under every belief and every act of self-sabotage that we do is actually a rooted fear that's primally created. So like fear of failure, fear of success, fear of judgment, rejection, conflict, all of these fears in like our primal brain basically mean death to our brain, which is obviously bad. And so that's why they kind of come up because our brain wants to keep us safe. And so they create these beliefs and constructs that they have learned over the years that are meant to trigger our fears. So our fears will kind of keep us stuck and keep us safe, like basically prevent us from taking action. So I was self-sabotaging in relationships and always kind of going after guys who are not good enough for me. And I knew wouldn't work out because I was afraid of actually being in a relationship, but like, I didn't realize that because why would I ever think I was afraid of being in a relationship? I thought I wanted a relationship, but basically our brain has all of these crazy hijacks that happen to kind of keep us like, or to kind of keep us stuck and prevent us from like actually going into the unknown, like the out of our comfort zone areas, because the unknown to our brain is danger. And it thinks that in the primal area of the brain, danger in any form and the unknown in any form lights up as death. So our like brain takes it as a real life threat. And so I started going through those beliefs and kind of picking apart those fears and learning to actually like let go of those fears and change my beliefs. And that's what ended up making the big difference for me in like every area of my life, because you start to see things differently and like the self-sabotaging behaviors don't come up. And it was actually probably, I'd say like a few months after I really like dove deep into those beliefs that I met my fiance now, which is crazy because I went literally 24 years without dating a guy. And then all of a sudden he was there and we were like within the first like several months, we didn't say it because we were like, this is crazy. We can't say that. But we like talk about it now. And it's so funny. We had um, told each other, like in the first three months, I knew he was my person, but like, I didn't want to say that. And then now obviously we're here and it's great, but it's funny how it happens. Cause it's like, what you're really doing by changing your beliefs is just changing how you see the world. Like the world doesn't change. You just change how you see it, which attracts different like feelings and opportunities to you, which is really cool. Yeah. And how'd you guys meet? So we actually met when I first moved to Denver and what's crazy. So I was living in Washington, DC before I came to Denver, I was in Washington, DC, and then our apartment ran up during COVID. And so my roommate and I in DC did a huge road trip 
around the country and we ended in Denver and we really liked it here. So we signed a lease and our old roommate. So we lived with three people in DC. She was still in DC and she was like, oh, that's crazy. One of my friends from high school who actually was living in DC when we were living in DC also just moved to Denver. You guys should meet him. And he is my fiance. Wow. (laughs) Um, And so when I first met him, it was crazy because we had actually been at the same parties, the same everything for years, but we had never met each other. And all of a sudden we're together and we're like going skiing every weekend. And I wasn't in the place to admit that I wanted to date yet. Like I wasn't there, especially not liking him. And I had like a whole list of reasons why I shouldn't date him. And I definitely talked to some professional people to help work through that. But that kind of led me to the point of getting comfortable enough to actually date him. And then it was all history from there. Wow. And did you know right away that you're like, yeah, like while you were skiing and you're like, I have to get over this because I know this is getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Like while I was with him that first real day that we like drove out to the mountains and we're going to go skiing. I remember talking to him being like, this feels different. This feels right. I need to deal with my shit. And I did (laughs) thankfully, (laughs) because at that point I had done enough work on myself where I was like, okay, like you're the one that's holding you back in every situation of your life. Like this is just another one. Like, are you ready to handle this or not? And what was it about him that felt different than all the other ones, all the other guys? It's just a feeling. It's really weird. Like I can give you a bunch of reasons now because we've gotten to know each other quite well. But when I first met him, there wasn't anything stand out. Like it wasn't like I looked at him and was like, he's the hottest man on earth. And like, obviously I find him attractive, but it wasn't like any quality in the beginning was that stand out. It was more just a feeling like it was totally like an energy feeling type thing. And as I got to know him, of course, now I can tell you, like we have amazing communication. Like things don't go without like 15 minutes of us talking about them. And even if it sucks, like even if it's something little, that's super uncomfortable to talk about. We're incredibly open with each other. Like there is absolutely nothing I would not tell him or talk to him about no matter how frustrated or disappointed I was. And like, he definitely is very like conscientious of like how I'm feeling and what's going on. Like we're very intentional about how we spend our time and what we like want to talk about and what we want from our lives and like what we want to do. And he's incredibly self-aware, which is really helpful because we can spot for ourselves, like the self-sabotage before they come up. Cause self-sabotage is like, sorry, self-sabotage is what I specialized in. And so I talk about it a lot because I'm very familiar with it, but so we like, a lot of people will ruin relationships out of Mm self-sabotage, not because it's a bad relationship and we don't realize it. And like, I'm just as guilty of it as anyone else, even knowing what I do about self-sabotage. And so like, we have talked a lot about even that, where we can kind of pick out the self-sabotaging things in each other and like, kind of like bring the perspective, which is just incredibly amazing. And I think one more, cause I'm just going to brag on him for a moment, but he, he literally has never shut down any of my deal, my ideas. Like I would say I'm a big dreamer and like, I've gotten to the point of my dreams now are like things where I realize I can actually take action on them. Like they don't need to be like just pipe dreams. Like, why can't I do this? Where my parents and wonderful people in my life kind of look at me and they're like, we're not going to stop you, but what the hell are you doing? He is very much like more excited than I am about the things that I go and do, which is really cool. 
Hmm. And I'd love to go deeper into self-sabotage for dating because I feel like that's a big one. <laughs> we all, so are, yeah. I, I could give you a list. I could give you a list of guys I've self-sabotaged with. I think we could all come up with them, to be honest. We could all come up with a list. But for someone who that's their natural tendency is to go there, is to go into that place. What like tips do you have for them if they like, they're starting to recognize it, but like they just feel like it keeps happening. Like no matter what they try, it keeps happening. What advice would you give them? I, oh, I have a lot. Okay. So yes, it is. So it's like crazy how normal it is that it shows up in dating. First of all, cause it's like, we all go after relationships. Like, obviously we all want love. Like that's amazing. Love is great. But then for whatever reason, our brain's like, Nope, you can't do that. Sorry. There's a motorcycle. (laughs) Um, But When it comes to self-sabotage, the best way to be able to start to fix it is realize what's actually happening because our brain is so sneaky and it gets very convoluted. It's really helpful to have someone outside of you kind of like reflect what they hear back to you because a lot of times it's hard to notice, but some big tips are like behaviors such as procrastination, indecision, perfectionism. If you ever feel the need to prove, or if you feel like you people please a lot, like in relationships that could look like putting the other person's needs above your own. We pride that in society. Like we pride, like kind of making sure that like in a loving relationship, like they are more important than you. And in reality, the only way we're ever going to have a loving relationship is if we learn to prioritize ourselves and actually take care of ourselves, because then by nature, we're taking care of the next, like the other person. And so when you start to like realize that, or if you ever like avoid having difficult conversations with them, that should not be a normal behavior. That's a sign that there's something going on in you. There's like a fear deep down that's preventing you from actually opening up. If you find yourself in a relationship that you know is not good enough for you and you can't get out, that's also a sign of self-sabotage. If you find yourself, these are like more real tangible dating ones. So I'm just going to kind of go off and then we can talk more about other tips, but signs are a big one. Like you want to notice the signs of why it's happening. Cause if we don't notice the signs, we can't get out of it. If you find yourself overly reliant or avoidant, like if you have an extremely love hate relationship with dating apps, bad. If you ever question that you're not actually going to like find your person, like that questioning of it or not thinking that you are good enough to be loved, like deep down, that's also an extreme sign of self-sabotage. God, the list is so long, but those are a lot of big ones where it's like, there are these little behaviors that we do all the time. We say are so normal and they're not actually normal. We've just normalized them because so many of us have gotten more used to living with them than we have to fixing them. So they've become so habitual to us. And so those are a lot of like the signs of like self-sabotage. And honestly, those are only a few for the dating area. But once you've noticed it, because noticing is the biggest thing, you have the behavior and you have to figure out what fear lies under that behavior. I'm trying to think of a good concrete example to work through because I'm going to use one that's happening with my best friend right now, because we are talking about it the other day. I don't think she'll mind, but when she, she's been dating her boyfriend for a very long time and she has a really hard time talking about really deep things that have happened to her in the past. And he knows them and he's incredibly loving and he's always there and he's never said anything bad and he's very supportive. And she also has a really hard time being around his family. And every time she sees his family, it's just incredibly triggering to her. And he comes from a very happy and loving family. And so we kind of were picking it apart and she has a fear of not being good enough for him when it comes down to it. Like if we're going to get really down to the root 
And that fear of not being good enough for him is mostly triggered by his family because she comes from a family with two parents who had a kid at 18 years old and never got married. And she has great relationships with her parents, but it's not like a happy, healthy, perfect view of a family. And so as we really started to work through it, we realized that she doesn't feel worthy because she attributes worthiness and like feeling okay and whole and successful to having a healthy, happy family life, which she never had. So when she sees his family, it triggers her to feel unworthy, which means that she is going to kind of self-sabotage and make behaviors happen that will prevent them from actually getting really serious, which is what he is kind of like helping and trying to get her out of, but he doesn't know why she's doing things. And so they've dated for three years, they're long distance. So she'll do things like not call him for weeks on end or won't actually like hang out with him or won't tell him when something actually was said that hurts her and like triggered something, even though she knows he's going to be nice about it. She can verbally tell you, but she'll like kind of pull away and get into these spells of anxiety and not actually talk to him. And it when it comes down to it, she just has kind of like a fear of rejection and judgment because she doesn't feel worthy enough for him, which is all attributed to her thinking that worthiness is connected to how happy and like normal her family is, which is something she can never change. And so when it comes down to it, our worth inside of us is actually a construct. Like we get to decide the level of worth we have, but we have to understand that that kind of thing is going on in our brain so that we can kind of cut those connections out and kind of put more firm connections in to start developing that on our own. And all of that stuff that we're talking about too, like self-sabotage, it's not like it's rooted in our neural connections. So they're actual like habitual things we do and our brain thinks they're keeping us safe. So our brain strengthens them. So there's a reason why it's so hard for some people to take action on certain things. Like you could say the same thing for the gym. There's a reason why you're not going to go to the gym and it feels like you need to force motivation. And it's not because going to the gym sucks. It's because going to the gym is actually triggering a fear somewhere in there. And for everybody, it's different. But there are a bunch of things like that that go on in our brain where it's actually like neural connecting neural connection based. So it's like, we are fighting science and we can do it, but if we don't know what's happening, we're never going to make those steps happen. Yeah. I'm curious, like thinking of that story, I'm thinking like, is it possible to date someone who keeps on self-sabotaging the relationship? Like what is the, what is the steps there? And like, does it get to a point where it's like, I just can't do anything anymore, you know, for the partner. That's what I'm curious about is like how, as a partner, if you see your other significant other doing that, what do you do? I think in a happy, healthy, like relationship where people are very open and willing to talk, you kind of have to bring it up because I do think you can have, we're all going to self-sabotage to some degree. Like it's not going to stop because these things have been built up for like 20 or so years. Like, it's not like they're just going to magically all go away at night and you kind of want to see, this is going to sound weird. You kind of like want self-sabotage and self-doubt to come up for you at different times because it's a sign that you're trying to grow. Like it's a sign that you're trying to improve in different areas as a human. And as humans, one of the six basic needs that we have is growth. So in order to feel fulfilled and like whole in the world, we need some level of growth. So if you don't have it, it's bad, which means that we're going to go through these patterns of self-sabotage and self-doubt, but in order to really like cut them down and 
make a relationship healthy and happy, we need to be open to fixing them. So like you can definitely have a real, like a really good relationship where the two people have patterns of that, but you cannot have a good relationship if you aren't willing to kind of do the inner work and the reflection together to stop those patterns, because that's like the key differentiator. It's not like one couple will have it and one won't. We all have it. And it's kind of our willingness to just sit down and get really real with ourselves. And I think there's a lot of shit that comes up in those moments because we all have gone through a lot of shit and we're pretty messed up. And so like you kind of, every time you go through that, all those feelings come back and you're like exposing yourself and you're putting yourself out to rejection and judgment and like kind of being alone because that's always a chance. And we have to get comfortable with that process. And if you're not comfortable and you're not willing to do it, I don't think you can have a happy happy and healthy relationship because what your brain will honestly do is it'll either keep you where you're at or it'll completely hijack it overall. So if you're not taking control, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, my brain's just going to self-sabotage your relationships to bringing that up with your partner to, yeah. I'm curious, like what's a good language around that? Like to bring it up to your partner. That's a really great question. So I think it's different for every couple. And I think it starts with just being like open that this is something you want to talk about. Because a lot of times like people don't talk about this. Like I realize now that I'm with my boyfriend and we've gotten so like comfortable talking about it. It's easy. But in the beginning, I was like, I remember sitting in bed knowing I was triggered and that he was not doing anything wrong. But he said something that totally triggered me like a normal phrase. And I sat there and I was just like, we should just go to sleep. We should just go to sleep. I shouldn't bring it up. And I like remember taking a deep breath and telling him like, Hey, you just said this and it triggered me. And it's not, you didn't do anything wrong, but I needed to tell you that it triggered me because like, this is like a bad feeling that I have right now. And I know it's not because of you. It's because of other things, but like, I don't feel good and I'm doing things that aren't good. And that was like me being aware of it and talking to him. And even that, like, that was the very beginning of our relationship. And he was like, thankfully a really good match and like wanted to do the deep work and wanted to make things work. So he didn't react and he came back and he was like, why did this trigger you? Like what happened? But he did tell me after we had worked through it, he was like, I got mad at first. Like I got annoyed. Like I was like, that was a, like, why are you annoyed with me? So it like happened. So coming to your partner and being like, Hey, like this is uncomfortable and you did nothing wrong, but this is happening. And I feel like this because of it. Can we talk about it? Because the only two things we're ever going to know in a relationship are how, like what action was taken and how that action made us feel. And if both people in the relationship are willing to kind of talk about that, we can start to actually zone into what the sabotaging behaviors are behind that and be open about it. But we can't go at our partner and be like, you're self-sabotaging this relationship. Like you, you, you're doing it. Like it's all you, you can't do that because they're going to be like, what the fuck are you saying? But you can go at it and be like, you did this. And it makes me feel like this. Can we talk about it? And that's when you can kind of get into the conversation around. I feel like you don't want to get closer to me because every time this comes up, you do this and it makes me feel like this. What's going on? Like, is there something deeper rooted by both people being open about that and kind of having more context around it? then it gives them the ability to both work through it and grow. But both people have to be willing to do that. Mm. I'd love to know what's something you're learning right now. It could be anything. Anything in the world. Um, Right now, I have gotten really into energetics. 
So like our bodies emit different energies just by like being alive. Everything in the world has an energy and energy by nature like attracts. So if we have a very negative energy going out, like stress or anxiety, we're going to attract worse things to us. And if we have more positive energy, we're going to attract better things. So I've gotten really into understanding the science behind energetics and how that actually works and shows up in the world. I love science. Like I think it's super cool. So getting like really into the nitty gritty of things like that and manifestation and like quantum physics and all of that has been super cool because I am someone who I would say was like very skeptical of all this stuff. At one point I grew up like pretty religious, but not very like open-minded and in the last, I'd say like six years, I've really turned around and like gotten to be familiar with a bunch of things that kind of are going on. And I think I heard terms like manifestation. I was like, that is BS. Like that's not real. And then I have like really started to understand the science behind all of that recently, which has been super cool, like super, super cool. Mm-hmm. And what's something you're manifesting right now? Right now I am manifesting my dog. <laughs> I... I'm going to have a dog and I want to have him in the next like six months. And so I have a very particular personality for this dog. I have the name picked out, what he looks like, all of it. And I've finally gotten to the point in my life where I'm taking a really big like kind of life trip in the next couple months, like for say like three to six months, I'm going to Argentina and then I'll be coming back. So I'm manifesting this dog for when I come back and kind of want to get to that like next stage of being a dog mom, because apparently having a dog is like a child. Like you have to be ready to commit. And I was like, before I commit to anything, I need to go to Argentina. And so this is what we're doing. (laughs) What are you doing in Argentina? Is it just for fun or? Yeah, it's kind of like a life dream, knowing that my fiance and I are pretty serious now. I have always wanted to go to Argentina. I don't know what it is. Like, there is no logical connection there. But I've also always wanted to try to solo travel. I've never traveled solo. I've done a ton of traveling, just never completely by myself. And so with COVID, like being open to like traveling now and all of this, it kind of has reignited that desire to go and like, at least do it before I get married, before I really kind of have that stage of my life where I'm committed fully to like someone else. And because of that, I just booked a one-way ticket and I'm going to just see what it brings me. I'll be working there. I'll be like doing normal things, but like, I don't know anyone and I'm excited to see what it like brings. I just know I need to go. So it's just going to be you. Just me. Are you excited or like nervous about having that like break or I'm definitely both. And I think that's like so underrated because people see people like just jump ship and like quit their job and travel across across the world and like backpack. And it's like so scary. <laughs> like, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's going to kind of bring up some stuff that probably needs to be brought up and it's going to help me grow in a lot of different ways. And at the end of the day, like really if I hate it and it's not fun for me, the worst thing that happens is I come home. And so I think it's kind of like I was making it to be such a big deal in my head, but there's really nothing too scary about it when it comes down to it. It's like, okay, if it's hard, it's hard. Like we do hard stuff. So I'm a little of both for sure. Fearful because like, I don't know what's in Argentina and I don't know what happens there. And like, I don't know anyone there, (laughs) but like excited because the unknown brings so many opportunities for really cool, like things to come into our lives. So awesome. Well, I have a final question for you. (laughs) If you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what would you want to tell her? I would tell her to, I would tell her to 
not accept anything that you know you do not deserve. I don't know if you want me to go into more detail on that. But yeah, add some more. <laughs> some more <detail. laughs> You're like, uh. <laughs> no, I would definitely say that. I think when it comes down to our 20s, we feel like we're at the will of so many other people. Like we need to impress the boss. We need to impress this person, like whatever. Like we're at the bottom of the totem pole, but like the totem pole is a construct that we've made up. Like no matter what happens around us, like we are just as worthy of re- receiving and living a really good, happy, healthy, fulfilling life. We don't have to work 20 years to get to a point of like, like feeling good with ourselves. We can have it now, but you're only going to have it now if you accept what you know you deserve and you say no to the things you know you're not worthy, like you don't deserve, like you deserve better. So like if you're in a bad relationship, taking the brave action and getting out of it and like entering into that unknown of not being in a relationship for a little bit and not knowing if someone better will come in, but trusting that they will if they're meant to, steps like that are huge. Or same thing with quitting your job or kind of leaving whatever you know is holding you back and is not meant for you. I feel like if I were to tell myself anything, it would be that because I think we make that such a bigger thing in our head. Like I felt like I needed to work at a job that sucked and didn't treat me well in order to like get to the next level or whatever we make it to be in our mind. And in reality, like we just make that up. Like we don't need to do that. And so if I was to tell myself anything, I would say, don't accept things, you know, you deserve more from with relationships, with our career, with where we're living, with our friendships, with our family, like all of it. And like, you can let that go with grace. Like you don't have to be like all harsh and stuff with it and like hurt people's feelings and like crush other people's dreams or be like rude or bitchy or anything. You can do it with grace, but like that ability to do that is what really will set you apart in the world and be able to actually like let you feel for like feel more fulfilled and like whole and free regardless of the circumstances like happening around you Mm -hmm. I love that (laughs) thank you so much for doing this oh of course thank you for having me I'm so glad we got to chat yeah yeah where can we where can we find you where can we stalk you (laughs) stalk me at andy colleen on instagram i have a website that's andycolleen.com it's not super active but it was an old coaching website i had and I would say those are the best two places, mostly Instagram. That's where I'm like most active. And then if you want to join my email list, I also have that. You can find it through my Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.